Tuesdays, the follow-up. The action is trust. The outcome, resiliency. The attitude is confidence. You only get one first impression, but the most important meeting is the second. We all like music. I don't mean any specific genre or artist, but rather the methodical nature of music, which has been present in every step of our evolution for a reason. In medieval days, a combination of horns and drums let everyone in the kingdom know the royalty was near. During the industrialization period, jazz laid the cool soundtrack for a time filled with highs and lows and reigned supreme from New York to Paris. Nowadays, if you open your music streaming app, an algorithm curates a playlist of artists you like based on your listening history. Like fashion, music documents an era, but what cannot be overlooked is the inevitable one-hit wonder. Year in and year out, we all find ourselves referencing a song that at one point was all people heard. We turn on the radio, go to a party, see a movie trailer, and boom, there it is again. The song dominates the airways for weeks or months at a time and then vanishes never to be heard from again. But oddly enough, if we think about the music that withstands the test of time, we feel the same way about it now as we did the first time we heard it, right? The truth is, the only thing that separates the one-hit wonder from a Beyonce or a Drake is the follow-up. That second time we hear an artist is what truly makes them stick. In today's world, everywhere you look, there's a new piece of content coming out. Especially now, that follow-up is the true difference between the ones that make it and the ones that don't. Think about everything you've done once and chalked up to beginner's luck. Then think of something you've become skilled in because you stuck with it. Paulo Coelho highlighted this idea in his world-renowned book, The Alchemist, by saying, everything that happens once can't never happen again, but everything that happens twice will surely happen a third time. Adopting this mindset builds one's resolve or the ability to be resilient in spite of failure. Most people see failure as the enemy of success. In reality, failure is a key component of success because the only way to truly succeed is to overcome failure. Our journeys and our passions, our jobs, and our lives don't necessarily get easier with time. The reality is we've grown sharper and stronger than our previous selves. Confidence isn't something that's bestowed upon a few special people in this life. Like discipline, it's the result of constant practice. Webster defines confidence as the feeling or belief that one can rely on someone or something. Firm trust. In all reality, confidence is a choice that is only reaffirmed by the trust of seeing that thing or person execute the given task over and over again. The prime example of trust, resilience, and confidence took place in Houston, Texas on April 4th, 2016. 74,340 people packed into NRG Stadium, sat in disbelief as the North Carolina Tar Heels and the Villanova Wildcats returned to their benches. About 65% of the stadium reveled in this disbelief because it meant that their Tar Heels were a step closer to winning the national title. The other 35%, couldn't believe we just blew a 10-point lead with only two minutes remaining. Although 74,000 people saw it in person, 
22.3 million others watched as seat cushions were thrown in the air, marking an early celebration. So what caused all of this commotion? With 13.5 seconds remaining in the game, the Tar Heels inbounded the ball on the opposite side of their basket. With the momentum completely swung in their direction, they planned to tie the very game that two minutes earlier seemed to be over. The point guard ran the ball up the court, and as the inbounder ran opposite of him, beelining it towards the most trusted shooter, Marcus Page. Page used the screen to get the ball, and after two quick dribbles, made a shot from 28 feet to tie the game. But the game wasn't over. A timeout was called, and both teams returned to their benches with 4.7 seconds to play. None of us said it, but we all knew one thing. If this game goes into overtime, our chances to win plummet. Sports, like most things in life, have an ebb and flow to them. And one thing that cannot be overlooked in sports or in life is the power of confidence gained through momentum. After several brilliant defensive sequences and a shot that 99.100 times would have missed, the Tar Heels had all of the momentum. We were left with an optimistic attitude, a practice play, and one chance to end the game. About a minute later, Daniel, Josh, Chris, Phil, and Ryan returned to the floor. The play was simple. Chris would inbound the ball to Ryan, Daniel would screen Ryan's man as he ran down the floor and passed to Josh or Phil for the final shot. As the huddle broke, Chris told Ryan that he'd be open and would have a clear look at the last shot. Moments later, Ryan raced up the left side of the floor after using Daniel's screen, crossed over a few feet past half court and pitched the ball back to Chris. He stepped into that shot the way he had thousands of times before and shot it the exact same way too. Jenkins gives it to Jenkins for the championship. Although that shot solidified Chris in sports folklore, won Villanova's first championship in 31 years and changed all of our lives, I couldn't help but think about the irony of it all. The irony that the ball was never supposed to go to Chris, our best shooter. The irony that Ryan, the guy who made several game-winning shots himself, would truly be remembered for that pass. The irony that Market Page's bicycle kick three would be forgotten not even 10 minutes after he hit it. And most of all, the irony that the shot Chris made was, at least mechanically, the exact same as every other shot he had taken. But how many shots did Chris take from that range before? How many times did we practice that play? How many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll center of a Tootsie Pop? We can agree that the moment was magical, but it wasn't magic. It was the result of the same task being performed over and over again. You take away our team's resiliency, Ryan's trust, or Chris's confidence, and the story ends in a completely different way. After the game, we all agreed that this was the perfect example of Tap the Rock. The story goes that a stone cutter was given a huge stone to work with, but couldn't break it down to appropriate size to mold. Each day he hit the rock with a hammer in the exact same spot, hoping it would crack in half. 1,000 taps later, the rock still remained intact. He decided to give the rock one more tap before getting rid of it. And the moment he struck, it cracked in half. The moral of the story is, 
It wasn't the thousand and first tap that broke the rock. It was the thousand taps before. So you want to achieve something great. You have to adapt the stone cutters mentality to your own life. This idea is what separates the greats from the one hit wonders. But it is impossible to do this without mastering a form of inner discipline. The part of the stone cutter story that often is missed is how he hit the rock. He didn't hit the rock with different tools or from different angles. He hit the rock in the same spot over and over again. If you had to go somewhere on foot, you wouldn't take two steps going north, then two steps going south. You would walk in one singular direction until you absolutely had to change directions. If this is true of traveling, why would it be any different in our other endeavors? Most of us get in our own way because we haven't yet figured out how we work best. It's easy to get sidetracked because, metaphorically speaking, we spend our time walking in several different directions or we hammer away at different spots on the same rock. There are two ways to solve this issue. Number one, live off the land. As much as we complain about social media as a society, it's a pretty indifferent system. Algorithms undeniably affect the way the information is relayed, but when we really think about it, what's the difference between a social media feed and a library? What's shown first is based on a system. The covers all look different and the information is seemingly unlimited. Just like the library, you don't necessarily have to stay on social media. You do have a choice. Social media is what you make it. I choose to use social media as a motivational goldmine. On Instagram, I save videos that inspire me to a folder and watch them whenever I'm feeling down or distracted. I open the folder and immediately hear a quick bite-sized inspirational click from someone or something I idolize. One day, I found a one-sheeter of Nike's original rules for the company. This didn't come from the Nike we know today. This was made from the Nike that focused solely on making running shoes and being the rebels. Even the iconic swoosh looked different back then. The sixth rule for Nike was live off the land, meaning Use your immediate resources. Think of it like this. You live in a small village where there's one tree that grows sensational peaches. The issue is, is that for some reason, the tree doesn't release the peaches until they are rotten and no one is tall enough to grab them when they're fresh and ripe. The only hope people have of getting a peach is waiting for the rarity of a ripe one falling, which almost never happens. You happen to be the only person in the village who can climb the tree. Now, every other type of food is sold by other merchants and they make a good living because the village's resources are limited. The only thing the villagers are missing are these life-changing peaches. Many have tried to plant the seeds from the peaches, but none of the seeds grew. So what do you do? The same thing and hope for a different result? No, because that falls directly in line with the definition of insanity. You use your ability to climb to your advantage and become the village's first peach salesperson. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. You just have to figure out how to use it to get to your destination. Number two, figure out what kind of worker you are. Like the four elements mentioned in the Caterpillar story, there are truly four different types of workers. Innovators, initiators, occupiers, and destroyers. Let's say you're looking at an empty plot of land with one person from each category. Everyone has an opinion on what should be done and nothing gets accomplished. 
Finally, you step in and tell the group that each person will take on a different task and together you all must build something you can live in. The innovator will lay out the vision for a beautiful house and persuade everyone that is the best use of the space. The initiator will begin to figure out how to build it and figure out the necessary resources. The occupier will figure out how much space will be delegated to each person and how the house will be cared for. The destroyer will Google, is buying termites legal in this country as soon as they get a signal. The trick to working diligently is figuring out which worker you are before the work starts. Here's the thing. If you're lucky, at some point you'll get to play each role. Most fulfilling jobs require you to play more than one role and sometimes call for you to play all four. The sooner you figure out which type of worker you are, the sooner you can figure out what type of workers you need around you to complete the task at hand. An innovator wouldn't call three other innovators because everyone would just dream the day away. Nothing great is done alone, but part of being self-sufficient is knowing where you're personally most sufficient and maximizing your own potential in that space. There's nothing wrong with beginner's luck, but at some point it does run out. A strong follow-up gives the confidence to resiliently build a better and brighter future. Crucially, it makes you trust the most important builder of them all, you. Remember, you only get one first impression, but the most important meeting is the second.